Welcome to Stop Christian Nationalism, the podcast that stands against the growing movement among American Christians to take over the United States and make it an exclusively Christian nation. You may ask yourself, what's so important about resisting Christian nationalism? Well, Christian nationalists are trying to take away your right to vote, to have a say in your own government. They want to replace that with a total rule over American life, every detail of the decisions that you make by Christian preachers. That makes it really important this year to vote because Christian nationalists are on the verge of taking over both houses of the United States Congress. And that means that they're going to be able to determine our laws, to decide who gets to become a U.S. federal judge, to decide who gets to sit on the United States Supreme Court as a justice of that court. It's already a strongly Christian nationalist Supreme Court. If they get one or two more justices on there, all moderation will be out the window. In that context, this week, Donald Trump's old right-hand man, Mike Pence, illustrated the bizarre way that Christian nationalists think about freedom. Appearing on a Fox TV political commentary show, the former vice president made this complaint. Well, the radical left believes the freedom of religion is the freedom from religion. Mm. But it's nothing the American founders ever thought of or generations of Americans fought uh, to defend. All right, that is a fairly short statement. Yet within that short statement, former Vice President Mike Pence made three different claims. One, that freedom of religion does not include freedom from religion. Two, that the founders of the United States never thought about freedom from religion. And three, that Americans have never fought to defend freedom from religion. Well, was Mike Pence right? Let's take these arguments backwards. First, let's address this point that Mike Pence makes that Americans have never fought to defend freedom from religion. Well, that's true in a way. To begin with, we should acknowledge it is, strictly speaking, true that Americans have never fought a war to defend freedom from religion. But the larger truth around that, the truth that Mike Pence neglects to mention, is that Americans have never fought to defend freedom of religion either. That hasn't been a war that Americans have fought. Uh, Americans have never fought to defend freedom of the press. We haven't had a war about the right of journalists to write in newspapers or to make books. There hasn't been uh, a war to defend the right to a fair trial where you don't have to testify against yourself. These are important American freedoms, and yet we've never had a war about them, 
really. There's never been some country that said, oh, we think America should no longer have a right to a fair trial with a jury of your peers, and we're going to go to war with you over that. So, I mean, yeah, uh, Americans have never fought to defend these freedoms, but we have worked to defend these freedoms from demagogues in our own country over the years. Most American wars haven't really been about defending freedom or civil liberties at all. They've been about fights over territory and power. The United States of America has never been in a war that was fought because it was provoked by disagreements about the right of people to be free to make their own decisions about religion specifically. So... Mike Pence is right in a narrow sense here that, yeah, Americans have never fought to defend freedom from religion, but they've never fought to defend freedom of religion either. And that doesn't mean that the freedom is not important. Okay? Let's go to Mike Pence's second point, that the founders of the USA thought about um, freedom of religion quite often but they never, um, uh, never really thought about freedom from religion. Well, the truth is that the founders of the USA thought about freedom from religion a lot of the time, and they designed the United States of America under the Constitution to ensure freedom from religion. People who are familiar with American history understand that Mike Pence was just plain wrong when he claimed that the founders of the United States never thought about freedom from religion. The rampant abuses of government-established religion, both in England and in England's North American colonies, were at the top of the founders' minds when they wrote the Constitution. That's why they included the No Religious Test Clause in the original body of the Constitution. You don't hear people talk about that a lot, but it's right in there in the original body of the Constitution saying there shall be no religious test for public office. That is freedom from religion in our secular government. But they also made a prohibition of government establishment of religion in the very first clause of the very first amendment in the Bill of Rights. They did this because they felt that the no religious test clause in the main body of the Constitution was not strong enough. They wanted to make it extra clear that the United States government was not supposed to be making decisions about people's religion. It's not supposed to take sides in questions of what religions uh, people should belong to, what churches they should go to, what they should believe in. The government is supposed to be separate from that. We're not supposed to have laws. We're not supposed to have officials. We're not supposed to have any government action that promotes one religion or even promotes any religion at all. And this is because the founders knew that a country could not be free unless it was free from religious power over the government. Let's take a look at a specific founder who wrote about this quite extensively. American founder Thomas Paine. He wrote the pamphlet Common Sense. It's often been said that the, without the pen 
of Thomas Paine, George Washington would never have been able to wield his sword. So, American founder Thomas Paine, who was known as the voice of the revolution of 1776, specifically addressed the subject of freedom from religion when he wrote in a work called Age of Reason, quote, all national institutions of churches, whether Jewish, Christian, or Turkish, appear to me no other than human inventions set up to terrify and enslave mankind and monopolize power and profit. Later in that same work, Paine reflected on the history of Christian nationalism specifically and observed that, quote, the object of the church, as is the case in all national establishments of churches, was power and revenue and terror the means that it used, unquote. Throughout the text, Paine's estimation of Christian nationalism is clear. The goal of Christian nationalism of nationalist Christianity, in Paine's mind, is to obtain power and money. And in order to achieve that goal, government-established churches enact campaigns of terror. Thomas Paine and all the other founders were at a point in history where the colonial governments had been run by Christian churches, and this wasn't just a general Christian church in control of one colony or another. They were discriminating against other Christians as well as non-Christians and using terrible means to do so. So, Paine was particularly interested in protecting American law from religion, regarding religion as a corrupt influence that will inevitably undermine liberty whenever it is allowed to be enshrined in law. Paine wrote, quote, Persecution is not an original feature in any religion, but it is always the strongly marked feature of all religions established by law, unquote. Then specifically criticizing the centuries-old efforts of Christians to control national governments, Paine wrote of Christianity that, quote, as an engine of power, it serves the purpose of despotism, unquote. Paine's ideas about the need to protect freedom from religion in the United States were well known in the years after independence was established and during the revolution itself. This is part of what the revolution of 1776 was all about. These ideas were part of the national conversation that informed the passage of the Constitution and the First Amendment and its widespread acclaim. It is simply ignorant of Mike Pence to say that the founders of the United States never thought about freedom from religion. They thought about freedom from religion quite often, and most of them believed it was essential to democracy. That's why they voted to approve the Constitution's main body and then the First Amendment. 
the ideology of Christian nationalism was founded and developed outside of the tradition of American law. Christian nationalism has historic roots in autocratic governments that predated the United States, including the Roman Empire and the Spanish Empire and the British Empire. The Constitution of the United States, however, only mentions religion in order to ensure that the government of the United States of America remains free from religion. Now, let's deal with this. The first argument that Mike Pence makes, that uh, freedom of religion is not the same thing as freedom from religion. Well, I say that freedom of religion without freedom from religion is nonsense. You know, it's generally understood that freedom in any sphere includes the freedom to decide not to do a thing. Freedom of the press, for example, does not require people to be involved in the press. If people don't want to write or publish, they are free not to do so. Freedom of speech does not require people to speak. It grants the people the power to speak or not to speak as they choose. And in that same way, freedom of religion is not just a freedom to practice a religion of one's choosing. It is also the freedom to make one's own decisions not to practice religion. As in... In a whole, the freedom of religion is the freedom to make your own choices about what to do on matters related to religion, whether you're doing it at all or not, or which religion you're doing, and in what way you're doing it. This includes the freedom to not practice any religion at all. It just doesn't make any sense otherwise. Otherwise, we'd have to say freedom of speech means that you have to be talking. You must talk. Freedom of the press means you must publish a newspaper or a book or something. And if you're not, well, then we can arrest you for it. It's crazy. When Christian nationalists like Mike Pence argue that uh, Americans don't have freedom uh, from religion, but we just have freedom of religion, well, they might as well argue that Americans don't have freedom of religion at all. A country in which the government can force people to be religious is a country where people are not free in matters of religion. It's a country where religion is practiced as a matter of force. And, you know, the thing is, Christian nationalism is profoundly self-centered. Christian nationalists think of freedom as something that only Christians deserve because All non-Christians are supposed to be wicked and not deserving of freedom, right? That that somehow people can't be moral unless they belong to a Christian church. But that is not the model of freedom under which the Constitution of the United States of America was written. In American law established by the Constitution, freedom is not a privilege that people have to earn by being morally good. That's a Christian idea. The American legal idea, penned by the writers of the U.N.'s Constitution, 
was that freedom is a right to which people are entitled, regardless of their morality. Now, originally, there were strong exceptions to the idea that all people were entitled to freedom, as women and people not of European descent, and some others, too, were excluded from freedom in the early United States. But these exclusions have largely, although not completely, been addressed through later constitutional amendments and other U.S. law. You should remember these exceptions, though, when Christian nationalists call themselves originalists, because originalist means you support slavery, and you think that women shouldn't have the vote. That's what it means to be a constitutional originalist. It's not very nice. Okay, but coming back to the subject at hand, Christian nationalists believe that only Christians should have freedom of religion. That's what it means for Mike Pence to say that you have freedom of religion, but not freedom from religion. That's to say that religions should totally have control over your life, and you shouldn't have any ability to resist that. No freedom from it. Oh my gosh, that's scary. I mean, Christian nationalists believe that freedom of religion is the freedom of Christians to do whatever they want to anybody else. So Christian nationalists believe that they have freedom of religion only when they can force non-Christians to comply with Christian religious laws, to provide money to Christian religious organizations, and to participate in Christian religious practices. When Christian nationalists like Mike Pence say that Americans have no freedom from religion, uh, what they mean is that Christian Americans should be granted absolute power to control the lives of all Americans and shove Christianity down our throats. In short, the Christian nationalist idea of freedom of religion is the exact opposite of actual freedom of religion. Christian nationalism seeks the freedom for itself only to persecute anyone who chooses not to be a Christian. Now, increasing numbers of Americans are choosing to leave Christianity behind, and totalitarian religious declarations like the one that Mike Pence made this week are one of the major reasons that people are walking out of churches and never looking back. What Christian nationalists don't understand is that every time that they say that there is no freedom from religion in America, they just turn people off. Christian nationalist leaders like Mike Pence make people want to prove that freedom from religion exists in America by choosing to abandon Christianity. You know, when Mike Pence made that statement, he wasn't alone on the screen. He was with Larry Kudlow. Now, Larry Kudlow was hired to be a financial analyst on Fox TV. But Fox, on that channel, anyone is allowed to preach about the need for Christian nationalism, even if their expertise is something quite different. So it was that Larry Kudlow interviewed Mike Pence for Fox this week. And it was Kudlow who encouraged Pence 
to show his support for Christian nationalism. Before even asking Pence a question on the subject, Kudlow opened up with his own commentary in praise of Christian nationalism. And here's a little snippet of what he said. No one is allowed to talk about the Ten Commandments or the importance of moral values. So, okay, I know that doesn't sound like it's actually about Christian nationalism, does it? Actually, it's kind of a complaint that Americans are not able to express Christian nationalism. And here, (laughs) in being confused, you have come to understand the contradiction in Christian nationalist ideology. They are saying that real Americans are Christian Americans, and that the United States, in spite of all of the historical evidence that we just talked about, and more, much more, uh, was founded as a Christian nation. And that America is a Christian nation now and should be a Christian nation. And then they turn around and they say, hey, well, we're not allowed to do our Christian nationalist thing. What the hey? So, I mean, that doesn't look like it's a Christian nation, does it? But this is part of the idea of a persecution of Christianity. But is it true? Okay, let's listen to this claim made by Larry Kudlow once again. No one is allowed to talk about the Ten Commandments or the importance of moral values. Huh. No one is allowed to talk about the Ten Commandments or the importance of moral values? Is that really true? Well, you heard it yourself. Larry Kudlow actually himself was just talking about the Ten Commandments and the importance of moral values. He was allowed to do so. No one censored him. No one stopped him from talking. And no one stopped his talk from being broadcast across the country and really all around the world on the Fox TV network, which is pretty big and powerful, actually. Hmm. It looks like he is allowed to talk about the Ten Commandments and the importance of moral values. You know, it's not just there on Fox TV. It's not like an isolated thing either. When I search for the phrase Ten Commandments, well, Google tells me that there are about 12,600,000 results online. Hmm. Now, a comparative search for the phrases moral values and separation of church and state using Google Trends shows that people are writing about moral values about twice as much, sometimes three times as much as separation of church and state. So it looks like actually a lot of people are allowed to talk about the Ten Commandments and moral values. There's no law against it. There's no regulation against that. Huh. Now, no one really knows, for example, how many Christian churches there are in the United States. There are estimates that range between 100,000 and 300,000. But, you know, uh, what do you think happens in those churches? Does Larry Kudlow really think that preachers in these churches are not allowed to talk about the Ten Commandments or moral values? Well, that's absurd. Of course they are. So what is Larry Kudlow 
really talking about here. Exactly what is not allowed? Well, the Christian Nationalist Supreme Court of the United States has been working to undermine the First Amendment and establish Christian privilege in American law, forcing public school districts to allow school employees to coerce students into prayer and making state governments provide funding for Christian programs of religious indoctrination. Public schools now, because of this Christian Nationalist Supreme Court, are allowed to teach about the Ten Commandments, though in historical context, and they can talk about moral values. And you know what actually happens a lot, especially in the Bible Belt? They go ahead and they teach outright Christianity in public schools. Now, what isn't allowed yet is for government in the USA to compel everybody to go to church. But Christian judges are being allowed to force people to join religious programs run by Christian churches. Christian judges in America's courts are being allowed to coerce plaintiffs, defendants, and witnesses to undergo a Christian ritual of swearing an oath to the Christian Bible, as if that makes everything true. Swearing on a book that talks about dragons and unicorns and demons, that that is going to make you tell the truth. Okay. It's a religious ritual, and it's being compelled upon people. People are coerced to do that just in order to have access to the power of an American governmental court. People are also being compelled to share a Christian religious message every time they go shopping with paper money and coins. In God we trust. Children across America are required by public schools to pledge themselves to be allies to Christian nationalism every day, one nation under God. That is a Christian nationalist ideology right there. And their parents are being forced to go through public rituals of Christian prayer before they can gain access to their elected leaders in public meetings. So actually, Christians are given special privileges to force their religion into Americans' lives using the power of government. And non-Christian religions are not given that same privilege. And non-religious Americans are being actively discriminated against by the government. Just a few years ago, for example, a formerly Christian minister who maintained his rank, all of his legal qualifications, as a minister was representing a national organization of non-religious Americans, a large organization. But he was forbidden from giving a non-religious invocation before the U.S. House of Representatives. He was banned by Congress because he was not a Christian. When one member of Congress attempted to have a Hindu priest give an invocation in front of the U.S. House of Representatives, you know what happened? This was just a few years ago. Republican members of Congress interrupted the proceedings, and they loudly stormed out of the U.S. Capitol in protest. You know what the message was from these events? Only Christian preachers are welcome to deliver morning prayers in Congress, with perhaps an occasional guest token Jewish rabbi. No other religions are allowed. No non-religious Americans are allowed. 
Christianity has been allowed to claim ownership over Congress. So Larry Kudlow thinks that nobody's allowed to talk about the Ten Commandments or the importance of moral values. Go ahead and do a search. Congress.gov. They've got a search engine of the daily business of the U.S. Congress. People are talking about this stuff all the time. Christianity is used as a political hammer over and over and over again to give Christians privileged, special rights and powers in the United States. So Larry Kudlow, he has it backwards. The truth is that Christians are allowed by the government to talk about their religion in the public square, in settings where other religions and non-religious Americans are routinely denied access. Nonetheless, despite the fact that every American has already been lectured about the Ten Commandments ad nauseum, Larry Kudlow wants us to talk even more about the Ten Commandments. So, okay, let's talk about the Ten Commandments. Let's talk about this. You know what most of the Ten Commandments are? They are a command to obey the religion of the God of that Bible, which started in Judaism and then went into Christianity. These are commands to not have religious freedom. The first one says, I am the Lord, the Lord, which is a, like, you know, that's not a democratic thing. The Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That's the first one, okay? So... I'm your Lord, and I brought you out of slavery, except now I own you, essentially. So you're, you are the slave of God, and you don't have the choice to worship God or not. You are God's property. That's the first commandment. Well, that there's slavery in there. Let's, we're going to hear that again. Number two, you shall have no other gods before me. Right there, no freedom of religion in the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are against freedom of religion. And there is nothing more American, nothing more American than the right to have freedom of religion. And yeah, this is why freedom from religion is important. Because the only reason in, that you have the Ten Commandments is because, you know, this God of the Bible believes that he has the right to own people as slaves. Okay, now, here is the next commandment, and it's a lot longer than what you think it is. People talk about the Ten Commandments, but they often use a shortened version, which has been, well, let's just say it's been sanitized. Listen to this. The Bible's second commandment of all things came to mind. And that commandment reads this way. You shall not, God says, make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Okay, that's kind of weird, right? I mean, what you hear usually for this commandment is that it's shortened into you should not make any graven image or thou shalt which just means you should anyway thou shalt not make any graven images right graven images means idols or something and that's usually translated so it's like this shortening and then they give a little translation to try to have it make sense because essentially it's supposed to mean 
don't worship any other thing other than God. And don't mistake, don't think that you can just have little idols and that's going to represent some bigger God. And like, why not? Because what? Because this Jehovah war God, sky God thing is somehow being invisible better. I mean, there's no reason for it. It's just saying, don't do it. That's the thing about these commandments. These 10 commandments is that they just say, don't do it. They don't say why. They just say, look, I'm the one with authority. Don't do it. So don't make any graven images. And this, this, this longer version of that is actually what's in the Bible. And so all of these Ten Commandments monuments, they don't have this language. When they want to teach this in public schools, they don't say this part because it's kind of crazy. Okay, let's look at this again. Don't bow down to these or worship these these images in the form of anything. Like you're not supposed to draw anything or sculpt anything. Uh, okay, and... um. Because God says that I'm jealous and I'm going to punish the children of anybody who makes art that depicts anything that looks realistic like anything in the world for four generations. Because anybody who disobeys this command hates the Christian God or the Judaic God at Jehovah. Okay, and um, just because you're disobeying, you hate a thing. Because you criticize something, you hate a thing. And therefore, for that, you deserve to have your offspring. Not just your children, not just your children's children, or your children's children's children, but your children's 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 children to be punished that far into the future just because you drew something or you sculpted something because you worshipped something other than the God of this Christian and Judaic Bible. And I'm sorry, but um, that seems a little bit out of proportion to me. Of course, I'm not this jealous God. This is the God of jealousy, right? Okay. And see, the thing is that this mindset of these Ten Commandments is that if you examine them, they begin to seem exceptionally petty and arbitrary, totally authoritarian, actually. I mean, what kind of morality is it that a person wouldn't be able to make artwork, this is another example of how Christianity, uh, the moral values of that religion actually are not represented in the Constitution of the United States of America. Because in the Constitution of the United States of America, we have freedom of speech. And that includes freedom of artistic expression. You know, and, and also, you know, freedom of the press to be able to publish an image that depicts something and have it not be some kind of, you know, I mean, honestly, a Bronze Age ban on idolatry. This stuff is really out of date. It has nothing to do with the revolution of 1776 or the writing of the Constitution. It's nuts. Okay.
Let's go to the next one. Oh, yes. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy because the Sabbath, the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, the Lord again. I mean, who has lords in the United States? We don't. Okay, on it, you shall not do any work or not you or your son or your daughter or your male slave or your female slave or your livestock. Oh, whoa. Hey, wait a minute. So... Okay, slaves, again, slavery is all throughout the uh, Ten Commandments. Um, And this is not the last time. Uh, And then the slaves are right next to your livestock, apparently. Like, you know, animals, these possessions, or the sojourner who is within your gates, meaning the traveler. So the person who comes to stay with you also has to obey this law not to work on a particular day because, hey, that's just the way it is because the God tells you to do it, you should do it. I mean, this is not a thinking for yourself kind of thing. Uh, This Ten Commandments approach, it doesn't teach independence. It teaches dependence upon instructions. This is the kind of Um, approach you would give to somebody in an entry-level position and they would never ever leave it you're just given these instructions for how to live and then you follow them and if you disobey you're punished forever uh, and you can't even escape the punishment with death and your kids too oh wow fantastic Ten Commandments you got there, Larry Kudlow. Let's go further into that. Okay, all of this has been about um, just like doing the religion and everybody has to do it and there can be no exceptions. And okay, now finally we get to crimes. You shouldn't murder. You shouldn't. uh, This is a crime. Is it a crime? Adultery? I mean, look, I don't like the idea of someone cheating on me sexually, but that's because that's the kind of relationship I want. And so I'm going to set that up with them. But if somebody else wants to have an open relationship, am I against that if they're both fine with it? Just as long as the, you know, ethical non-monogamy is a plausible thing. But this Ten Commandments says no. Well, are we going to institute adultery as a crime in the United States? Okay, so keep in mind that adultery is here. Having sex outside of marriage is a one of the big ten, you know, along with, you know, don't ever have another religion and murder, adultery. Okay, and then don't steal and then don't give false testimony against your neighbor, which means don't lie. Um, And then... You should not covet your neighbor's house, nor you should you covet your neighbor's wife or his male slave or female slave or ox or donkey. Slaves, there again with animals, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. You know, um, there's three mentions of the um, slavery here um, once again. Um, and the thing is that the Christian Bible doesn't ever give the command, doesn't ever, you know, in all of this, ever think like, hey, you shouldn't, um, own slaves and force other people to do work for you without ever paying them. Now, see, if I were to have 10 good rules for life, that might be one of them. Instead, 
the Ten Commandments is like three times going like, hey, slavery is cool, but just like, you know, if you have slaves, they should, you know, um, they should follow the same religious guidelines about when to work, you know, and when not to with the Sabbath as you do. And, um, oh, you know, also... um, the uh, whole thing about, you know, don't be jealous of somebody else's slaves, uh, you know, because that's that they belong to someone else. So don't try to think you should take their property. Um, yeah. So, I mean, the thing is that with this whole Ten Commandments philosophy, slavery is just completely fine. And it's really showing that the Christian Bible emphasizes the right to own and control people as if they are things. So when Larry Kudlow says, we don't talk about and value the moral values of the Ten Commandments enough, he is essentially saying, Larry Kudlow is saying, hey, you know what's the matter with America is that we don't, um, you know, go along with slavery. Because, hey, the Ten Commandments are not against slavery, so what the heck? Yeah, how about those moral values there? You know, this attitude about slavery has its origin in, uh, really, the ownership of all humanity by the Christian God, if it comes down to it. Because, look, the Christian God is, in the very strange worldview of Christianity— supposed to do whatever he wants with people. He's like a puppet master. And all. what are we? We're just puppets. We're just playthings. We're objects owned by this God, according to Christianity. And like, we're just little things. So this God can just cause us suffering and death at his whim. And there are going to be no consequences for that God. No judgment at all from the followers of this Christian God. It is a really one-way relationship. It's all judgment, judgment, judgment from this Christian God. Like, okay, wait a minute. This Christian God is supposed to have made us and then gets upset at us for being the way that we are, the way that this Christian God made us. But then, you know, this Christian God is making all kinds of decisions about causing suffering to people, and we're not supposed to be critical of that? Think about what a country would be like if that was the relationship between the people, the citizens, and their rulers. That is really terrifying, and that is exactly what Christian nationalists are trying to bring to the United States of America. Yeah. So, Um, You know, we have something like um, adultery or don't don't have sex with someone who you're not in a relationship with. And um, we have don't make artwork. Okay, these are like of the 10. There are two right there. So that's like right there. Just those two is one fifth of the Ten Commandments. But you know what's not in there? Physical assault. It doesn't say don't hit anybody. Don't cut off their hand. Don't slap them. Don't burn them. Don't torture them. Doesn't say that. Nothing about that. Like, why is that not in there? That's really kind of bizarre. I mean, 
Christian moral values are weird. It's off the rocker. Oh, how about violating a person's right to due process? No, they didn't have that because in the Christian moral universe, there is no right to due process or a fair trial. This is how far Christian nationalism and its morality based on these archaic Ten Commandments totally ancient stuff. I mean, not to judge the people back then, because they lived back then, but Christian nationalists are talking about reimposing this ancient Bronze Age garbage morality, which is totally broken in our country. Okay. Uh, what else is not in there? Fraud. No, there's no fraud. It's not talking about fraud. It's not talking about torture. There's nothing against blackmail. You could totally, according to Christian biblical morality of the Ten Commandments, go ahead and blackmail people. Do extortion too. That's not in there. Yeah, Ponzi scheme, pyramid scheme, go for it. Absolutely biblical. This Christian God is okay with that. How about polluting the earth and the water? So that you're impacting people's ability to live in a place. Oh, that would be totally great. Totally fine. The Christian God has no problem with that, apparently. Just go ahead and poison your natural environment. No problem. That's not in the Ten Commandments. You know, um, espionage for a foreign country. That is not banned by the Ten Commandments either. So Donald Trump, you know, just taking stuff and you know, boxes and boxes of national security secrets about nuclear weapons. That is totally okay with the Ten Commandments. Um, oh, what about making death threats? Now it says don't murder, but death threats would be totally okay, according to the Ten Commandments. Likewise, stalking and harassment, sabotage, arson, arson, setting a person's home on fire would be totally consistent with the Ten Commandments moral values. Oh, and rape. Yeah. Rape would be, you know, hey, the Ten Commandments aren't against it. Now, in other places in the Old Testament, it says, well, if you're going to do that, then you might have to pay a fine. Or, you know, um, you get married to the woman that you rape. Um, which is like an ongoing punishment of the woman, if you think about it. Um, but the Ten Commandments are totally cool with rape. That's That's no problem for them. Uh, rape. Yeah, absolutely fine. Because the Christian God is, as we see with the Ten Commandments, that, that, that first big chunk, the Christian God mostly cares, hey, just worship me a lot and don't worship other things because apparently there are other gods in this mythology, lots of other gods, but we're just not going to talk about them and you're not supposed to ever look at them or worship them or draw them. Don't make drawings of those gods because that would be terrible. Uh, yeah. So, I think that kind of moral system is bankrupt. I'm just going out on a limb. You know, I think if we follow Larry Kudlow's advice and we actually talk about the Ten Commandments, not in the little um, Sunday school version that they hand out at church, but the actual Ten Commandments, and we talk about the context of what that would look like in the modern world that we live in, I think 
You know, that would actually encourage a lot of people to leave Christianity behind if they really thought about it. So Larry Kudlow, you might want to rethink that idea that we need to talk about the Ten Commandments and moral values more, because I don't think it's actually on your side. These Ten Commandments are imbalanced. They're incomplete. They're inadequate to our world. And, you know, there's no way to say that the system of American law could be founded on this stuff. It's just a total mismatch. But, you know, not everything in life is about the law. There are also moral values. So we could talk about the moral values of Christian nationalism, which are pretty darn shabby, if you don't mind me saying so, because Christian nationalism values violence, insults, intimidation, totalitarian authority, hatred of diversity, racism, sexism, and the desire to give churches and Christian preachers absolute control over Americans' private, consensual, sexual choices. I think those moral values are a load of trash, Larry Kudlow. It's a harsh, unforgiving, out-of-date kind of morality. And this Christian nationalist morality does not match the moral values of most Americans today. Uh, It comes from a culture that shuts itself away from the world, supposing that ignorance is some kind of virtue. And that is where the historical illiteracy of... Larry Kudlow, and Mike Pence comes from. Christian nationalists are telling these strange forms of religious revisionist history that are so warped that they're telling them to to just fit the ideology of Christianity. They take history and they make it fit the Christian mold, even though the history that's in the Christian Bible ends uh, approximately 2,000 years ago, and it doesn't even tell most of the history that was going on then. It's a really thin slice cut short. So Christian nationalist churches, they encourage a lot of homeschooling, and they teach their children to believe ideas about American history that those of us who took more history classes. We went went to college, but even what we learned in high school, they tell us that the Christian version of history could not possibly be true. But these poor children that are raised in Christian nationalist communities, they are told to place their faith in that revisionist history because it matches a biblical perspective. They're told to distrust all other facts to trust the Bible and what it says first and make everything else fit that. And that is why we have something like what you're going to hear next, which is from Charlie Kirk, leader of Turning Point USA, which is a Christian nationalist organization that has attracted American Nazis carrying flags with actual swastikas on them to their events. Charlie Kirk made the following really strange assertion this week. 
The founders had trust in a constitutional style government because they always thought the church would be the counselor to the king. This is Charlie Kirk justifying the practice of Christian nationalism, the replacement of American democracy with a Christian religious dictatorship run by Christian preachers like himself, um, by saying that the founders of the United States of America, um, let me just repeat these words because they're just a little bit crazy. Quote, the founders had trust in a constitutional style of government because they always thought the church would be the counselor to the king. Wow. Okay, so the founders of the Constitution of the United States of America, according to Charlie Kirk, thought that the church would be the counselor to the king under the Constitution. Okay, you know anything about American history or American government? Anyone? Yeah, you know that there are some problems with this. I mean, first of all, in the United States of America, there is no such thing as the church. And there never has been, as long as there has been a United States of America. Now, there were places in the British imperial colonies in North America where a single church was able to gain exclusive power over the government. And these colonies were, frankly, terrible places to live, with people commonly running away from their tyrannical church-run governments to live out in the wilderness or with indigenous peoples or trying to find another colony where the church was not quite so crazy because you could, in those colonies, have the church. It was not a good thing. The founders of the United States did not look upon that history and say, let's repeat that. No, what they said was the opposite. And so once the United States of America was formed under the Constitution, there was no such thing as the church. There were churches and temples and mosques and sacred fraternal organizations of many kinds and sacred uh, kinds of uh, different kinds of organizations out there in the indigenous communities that we will never know about because those people's culture was lost in many cases. And uh, there were secular fraternities and sisterhoods too. There were all kinds of things. There was cultural diversity. Because in the United States of America, we don't have a government-established church, unlike in the British Empire, which was what the founders of the United States of America were reacting against. They saw what this did to the British Empire and the corruption and the tyranny that came from the Church of England and the wars of Christian against Christian. That was terrible. People being burned at the stake, tortured for what they believed or did not believe. And they said, hey, let's not do that. Let's not have a government establishment of religion, please. Could we do that? But Charlie Kirk, no, he thinks there is in America the church. It's kind of weird. But you know it doesn't end there, the weirdness, because there's also, according to Charlie Kirk, in the United States, the founders of the United States wanted to have a king. 
according to Charlie. Um, and, you know, every kindergartner, I would hope, understands this thing about American history. They don't have a lot of nuance there at the age of five or six, but they understand this much. The Revolution of 1776... Um, was about not ever, ever having a king again. Now, there might have been a few Tory loyalists after the revolution left in the population. Sure, of course, there are always crazy monarchists out there. But by and large, the founders of the USA were extremely clear about this. There's not going to be any king of America. So when Charlie Kirk here is saying that the founders wanted the church to be counselor to the king, um, he's about as wrong as it is possible to be, I think. <laughs> um, so there's not a single line in the U.S. Constitution that goes along with what he's saying that suggests in any way that churches should have a role in counseling the government. There's nothing about it at all in the Constitution. Churches are simply never mentioned in the Constitution at all. They are not given any power. Uh, there is a very good reason for that. It's because the collective wisdom of the founders was that churches had been a politically destabilizing and corrupting influence in European and colonial political history. The founders, they wanted to keep churches as far away as possible from the halls of political power in order to avoid tyranny and bloodshed. Here we come across that concept that Mike Pence doesn't want to seem to think was there at all in American history, which is freedom from religion. This is why the preamble to the Constitution states, quote, We the people of the United States, dot, 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 do ordain and establish the Constitution for the United States of America. We, the people of the United States of America. The Constitution doesn't say we, the churches, we, the priests, or we, the Christian, you, the Christian God, I guess, is how that would be. I don't know. But the point is, it's we, the people. It's us. Nothing about religion. The people, without any reference to religion at all, established the United States of America. And it's our government. When Christian nationalists put down government, they are putting down democracy. You know, every time they talk about how much they hate the government, it's because they don't want power to be with the people. They want power to be with the preachers and the churches. And that, in the past, has always led to disaster. The Constitution is designed purposefully to put power in the hands of the people as a whole and to keep power away from the churches. Now, people like Charlie Kirk can believe that this is not true. They can believe whatever they want. They're really good at making up reasons to believe what they want because they're raised to know more about the mythological history of kings in the Christian Bible than they do about actual American history. Charlie Kirk can talk about kings in the United States of America because his vision of America considers our country over here in North America in our time to be merely an extension of the ancient biblical kingdom of Judea. 
Historically speaking, that's not quite a valid analysis, we might say. But Christian nationalists are living in this world of fantasy and fake history, uh, and not just fake, but dark and violent history that Christian zealots believe must end in a bloody global war that will end with not a single human being left alive on the earth. That is their goal. Now, those of us who believe that humanity can do better than that need to communicate clearly the facts of actual American history, because the fact is that America is not a Christian nation. The United States is culturally pluralistic. It's a secular democracy. That doesn't mean it's anti-religion. It just means that it's neutral to religion and open to all people, regardless of what their position is with religion. That's what secular means. Now, this last week saw the release of some new survey research that's very interesting in reference to Christian nationalism. This comes from the Pew Research Center, and it shows that Christian Americans are increasingly unwilling to accept cultural pluralism and are demanding that Christians be granted special powers, often through the government, to impose their religion on all Americans. This is not something that I'm making up. This is professional survey research. This survey found that 79% of American Christians believe that the Christian Bible should shape the law of the United States of America. That is Christian nationalism, believing that Christianity should shape the law for everybody, whether they're Christians or not. Everybody should have to follow Christian law. 79% of Christian Americans believe that. 79% of Christian Americans are Christian nationalists. Now, when the survey asked more directly about whether the United States should be a Christian nation... Uh, somewhat fewer Christians were willing to admit that that was what they believed in, that kind of Christian nationalist ideology. In response to that question, 62% of American Christians said that, yes, the United States of America should be a Christian nation. But that's still 62%. That is a not insubstantial majority of American Christians being Christian nationalists. So let's think about the implications of this math with these two questions, okay? It looks like 17% of American Christians support the goals of Christian nationalism and the ideology of Christian nationalism. It's just that when they're asked directly by a pollster to identify themselves as Christian nationalists, that then they balk at the question and say, well, I, you know, I wouldn't go that far. This 17% of Americans is quite willing to have the Christian Bible control American law to some extent. For all Americans, even those 40% that are not Christian, these 17% of American Christians are just embarrassed 
to openly describe themselves as Christian nationalists. They want Christianity to control the United States, but they don't like to say that that's what they're doing. So we got 79% of American Christians being Christian nationalists. That's a really strong majority. And these survey results, they blow apart the claims by progressive Christians that, oh, Christian nationalists are just some kind of tiny minority within American Christianity. They're really not. You know, you often hear progressive Christians say, oh, Christian nationalists, that's just fake Christianity. And, and it's imposter Christianity, as a Professor Perry likes to say. These statistics show that is not true. Only 21% of American Christians are willing to say that the Christian Bible should not be allowed at all to determine what the legal system looks like in the United States, the rules that we all have to follow. 21% only, like the one in five American Christians are willing to say that the, the weird Bronze Age rules, like those Ten Commandment things, right, about not drawing things. Only one in five American Christians are willing to say that that should not be the law for everybody, even if you're not a Christian. They want to even outlaw Buddhists and, you know, atheists and Wiccans and uh, whoever from drawing bunny rabbits. Four out of five American Christians. I think that's a problem. Christian nationalists. Here's the truth. Christian nationalists are by far the majority of American Christians. If we had to do a definition just based on the numbers of what does Christianity look like here in the United States, Christian nationalists would define what Christianity is. They're not an aberration. They're not a heresy. They're not a little group on the side. They are 79% of American Christians. And there's just no reasonable way to claim that Christian nationalism is not representative of Christianity. And we need to get past this whole fake Christians thing. They're not fake Christians. These guys are Christians. There's more of them than there are of you if you are a progressive Christian. So let's deal with that because also, as you've heard, these people actually cite the Bible. Go back through our podcasts here. At Stop Christian Nationalism, we have described this to a great extent. They cite specific Bible verses. They cite Christian history. Christian nationalism is taught by Christian preachers in Christian churches. This stuff is Christianity. Let's deal with that instead of denying it. Let's not have this faith that somehow there's a pure Christianity somewhere that somehow magically can't be touched by all of this. 79% of your Christians are Christian nationalists. It's a fact. This Pew Research Center survey shows that quite clearly. So, you know, there has been some dissembling in the interpretation of this survey saying that, oh, 
well, you know, there can be different kinds of Christian nationalism, maybe. And maybe some is more harsh than the others, and some is, you know, not quite so unforgiving, just unforgiving about some things. It's wanting to control people's lives using the power of Christianity, but only somewhat, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but, you know, we have, over the last 14 weeks, this is the 14th episode of this podcast, yay, we've together explored the relationship between these different levels of Christian nationalism. And the thing that I think we found really clearly is that this soft, mild, moderate-voiced Christian nationalism is used as a kind of deceptive framing to make it all seem quite reasonable, to make it seem like, oh, you don't need to worry about Christian nationalism. This is all very normal. It's not such a big deal if we do this, is it? But it's there to open the gate, just a crack, so that the gate can be opened wider, so that the more harsh and extreme forms of Christian nationalism can come in. And I want to remind you of an example of that very thing from one of our earlier episodes here. Ben Carson, formerly a cabinet member in the Trump administration, was giving a speech at the CPAC conference uh, this summer. And he was saying that public schools should be forced to teach children at public schools, that they should believe in the Christian Bible and that they should be forced to pray. Uh, and what was his justification? His justification was, well, come on, we've got the motto, in God we trust, on the American money. And we've got the phrase, one nation under God, in the Pledge of Allegiance. So therefore, I mean, obviously we're supposed to be Christian, so therefore, obviously we should force all children in America's public schools to become Christians and to engage in Christian religious rituals while they're in public school. So, you see, this is how the whispers of ceremonial deism, which is a lie that was invented by Christian nationalists on the Supreme Court to justify theocracy, saying, oh, well, everybody agrees on In God We Trust and one nation under God. Actually, not everyone agrees on that. You know, a lot of people in America don't like those things. But those things are presented as normal and as standard in order to then allow for even more harsh forms of Christian nationalism that goes all the way up to January 6, 2021. A bunch of people storming Congress in the name of Jesus because they believe they have the right to because they're Christians and Christians should control the country. After all, we have in God we trust on the dollar bill. Doesn't that prove it to you? Despite the Constitution, they think that this motto on the dollar bill has more meaning. So in this survey, these moderate, supposedly moderate, little forms of ceremonial deism, Christian nationalism, actually are just tools to open the gate to the whole violent, racist, sexist, 
totalitarian package. Because Christian nationalism comes as a package. You don't get to just have forced prayer in schools and not have the rest of it. Because once you have one part of it, logically, the rest follows. And that's where our Christian nationalist Supreme Court is going. The claim that there's a difference between some kind of moderate Christian nationalism and extremist Christian nationalism, that is a false distinction. There is no difference. Either we're all being forced to engage in religion that's Christian, or we're not. And when we have to spend dollar bills that have a Christian slogan on them, when our children are forced every day to pledge allegiance to the Christian God, that is forcing Christianity down our throats, and it's setting a precedent for much worse than that. So, the, the Pew survey results, if you look at them, they actually bear this out. In the Pew survey, the majority of those who stated that the United States should be a Christian nation, so the majority of Christian nationalists also said that the Christian Bible should have more power to shape American law than the will of the people. You realize what that means? That means that most of the people who describe themselves as Christian nationalists in this survey want to subjugate American democracy and replace it with an undemocratic Christian kind of power. There is no moderate version of that. There is no moderate desire to end American democracy and make the Bible more in control than the vote and the speech and the will of the people. You just can't make that moderate. And most of the Christian nationalists in this survey supported that very extreme measure. Okay, so here's the thing. There is some good news that comes from this survey. Though it's going to take a little while, more than a little while, for this good news to come to fruition. Here it is. 63% of Americans over the age of 65 responded that they believe the United States should be a Christian nation. 63% of Americans over the age of 65. Baby boomers. Oh, yeah. But... For those Americans between the ages of 18 and 29, only 23% of people that age in the United States believe that our country should be a Christian nation. And the young people are going to be around a lot longer. And, you know, those 65 and up are not going to be. And they have lived a long life and they have controlled things for a long time. And honestly, those Christian nationalists who are in majority control of that generation, they've made a royal mess of things. I mean, just take a look at the record of what they've done in the United States. It's on them. But the young people understand. Young Americans get it. Thank goodness, most of them. 23%. I don't know what's wrong with you, young 23%. I hope you grow out of it. But the rest of them... 
These young Americans, they understand that the United States of America is a culturally diverse country in which the government is supposed to be a neutral ground. That's what secular means, okay? Where no religion is allowed special privileges and powers. Everybody has the same rights. That's what secular means. There is a dark shadow in this silver lining, however, which is that a recent NPR survey found that 70% of young Americans uh, over the age of 18, but, but young, okay, like 18 and into their 20s, 70% of these young Americans do not intend to vote in this year's congressional elections. And, um, oh my gosh, young people, I really respect you and, you know, I mean, that independence that you've got, really fantastic. And your skepticism, I value that. I cherish that. I encourage that. But I also want you to look skeptically at the idea that a vote is wasted. Because you know who is not saying that are the Christian nationalists. The Republican Party is now very firmly under the control of Christian nationalism. And what they want to do to our democracy is to smash it. The Christian Nationalist Republican Party is right on the verge, a week and a day from now, of taking over both the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate, that's both houses of Congress, enabling Christian nationalists to write our country's laws and determine who gets to be on the U.S. Supreme Court and on other federal courts. Don't like the way that they smashed Roe v. Wade. Don't like the way that they pushed prayer into public schools. You don't like the way that they have forced state governments to fund crazy, insane academies of religious indoctrination where they teach that the earth is flat and evolution never happened. And, you know, what's his name? Noah actually lived for 600 years and crazy stuff like that. And two giraffes went on a boat and then repopulated the planet within the last few thousand years. Okay. You don't like that stuff. You don't like what they say about LGBTQ plus people. You don't like their racism. You don't like their sexism. This means you got to stand up against them. And in democracy, your, your way of standing up against them is not to click like on a, uh, a little article that you see on Facebook, or it's not to share a TikTok video, more appropriate to your generation. The, the power that you have is in your vote to shape who is in your government. And the time to stand up and to be responsible young democratic citizens is now and to vote. Because if you don't do that, the plan of the Christian nationalists who could take over the Congress and they've already got the Supreme Court, their plan is to replace our ability to vote with the power of Christian preachers to just make up the rules as they go along, whatever they like. Use the power of the vote while 
we still have it because the stakes could not be higher. Election day is just just one week and one day away. Please get out to vote. And you older, sensible Americans who, like myself, I'm not in that young generation anymore. Uh, but there are sensible older Americans too. You as well, please get out to vote. Vote now if you can. Vote early. Make it easier for the people on election day to get through those long lines. You don't have to love the choices that you have on the ballot. They don't have to be perfect you, if you wait for there to be the perfect candidate to vote. You wait for that person to be on the ballot. You you may be waiting your entire life. Your choice is between maybe one candidate that's not so great and one that's truly awful. And this, I understand that's kind of a disgusting choice, but that is the choice that you have. If you have um, the Christian nationalists, you know, listen to what we've been talking about over the last few weeks. They believe in the ideology of the Spanish fascists, of the Nazis in Germany. And they're not being coy about it anymore. They're coming right out and saying it. You have the chance to vote against the equivalent of the Nazi party. Do not give up that chance. Show up and vote for the candidate who is imperfect but who is at least not a Christian nationalist. Now, there is one other thing that you can do right now, given the week's news, uh, that is pretty important, I think. Uh, it's a very simple action that you can take to take power away from the Christian nationalists, and that is to get off Twitter if you are on there. Stop using it. Delete your account if you can. Because Twitter has very quickly become extremely toxic under Elon Musk. Oh, he promised he was not going to have it be a hellscape, but it's become a hellscape. Um, the racism, uh, the worst kind of language, uh, using the N-word, um, talking about swastikas and killing Jews. This stuff is all over Twitter right now. And as soon as Elon Musk got in there and he fired the board and he's now firing something like half of the workers at Twitter, many, many of who were there to stop this kind of toxic um, Nazi ideology from being spread. They're fired thanks to Elon Musk. And it's becoming a, a breeding ground of fascism. Just three days after he bought Twitter, promising that he wouldn't do anything to let the social network turn into a hellscape, Elon Musk himself tweeted a link to a conspiracy theory about the vicious attack against Paul Pelosi, the 82-year-old husband of Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi. A, a, a terrorist act. An attempted political assassination and kidnapping. Paul Pelosi was at home when David DePape a right-wing Christian QAnon believer broke into the Pelosi home 
and started screaming that he wanted to find Nancy Pelosi, and he had zip ties with him to tie her up and take her prisoner. And a hammer he had in his hand to attack her with. When David DePape only found that Paul Pelosi was at home, he attacked him with a hammer, fracturing Pelosi's skull. I want you to picture that. Fracturing someone's skull with a hammer. And the physical evidence is pretty plain. Uh, It proves, beyond any reasonable doubt, that the attack was a break-in. And David DePape has been charged... Uh, of he's been charged on multiple accounts, but one of those counts is the break-in. That is a separate crime because the evidence is really substantial for that, including a considerable amount of broken glass that shows exactly where DePape entered the house through force and, um, you know, then also broke his way through additional barriers within the home. Police have confirmed that DePape and Paul Pelosi had no history of contact with each other before DePape swung that hammer to break Pelosi's skull. Nonetheless, right-wing conspiracy theorists are throwing everything that they can at this to prevent you from thinking about what that means. They're throwing garbage and seeing what will stick. And one of those conspiracy theories says that, oh, um, Paul Pelosi met David DePape in a gay bar and hired him as a prostitute, and only then did somehow this attack happen. And you know what the implication of that is? Is that, oh, well, you know, Paul Pelosi deserved it because he was, you know, trying to pick up a young man and have sex with him, and that's just not normal You know what's not normal is believing that a 2,000-year-old necromancer is going to return someday and whisk a bunch of people up into the sky and the rest of them he's going to roast alive. That is what Christian nationalists believe. You know what I think? I think consenting adults who want to have sex with other consenting adults is actually pretty darn normal. So you having this kind of crazy conspiracy where we're all just supposed to dismiss the fact that a man had his skull fractured because supposedly there was gay sex involved? That's nuts. That is so depraved. This is the moral values of Christian nationalism. So Larry Kudlow, you want to talk about moral values? I'll talk about moral values all day. Elon Musk... He repeated this crazy conspiracy theory, which is not supported by any facts. They just made it up. They just made it up. And Elon Musk tweeted the link saying that, well, you know, it looks like there's more than meets the eye to this political terrorism, this vicious attack that should have and may in fact still kill Paul Pelosi. It's incredible that he survived at all for no other reason than he's the husband of Nancy Pelosi. It was an attempt to kill her too, the Speaker of the House of Representatives. That's the person who is third in line to succeed the President of the United States. That is an attack against our democracy. 
Elon Musk distributed that link to this conspiracy theory, which was hosted on a website that has been thoroughly exposed as being a place that's dedicated to pumping out fake stories for right-wing conspiracy theories. It's a conspiracy theory mill. Tens of thousands of people took this link that Elon Musk put up on Twitter, and then they shared it, and they spread the lie. The violent, anti-gay lie. The violent lie saying that if somebody is gay, they deserve to have their skull cracked in with a hammer. And not just in an abstract sense, but that it actually happened and saying, well, you know, that's not so bad. This is what Elon Musk has made Twitter into. Okay? And Donald Trump is coming back too. And a whole bunch of Christian nationalists. That's what Elon Musk wants Twitter to become. So are you going to be there? Are you going to be supporting that? Every tweet you send, every tweet you read, even if you don't like it, you're supporting that system. And, you know, it didn't even take a week for Elon Musk to turn Twitter into exactly the hellscape that he promised not to unleash upon us all. He didn't even do it at a distance He pulled the trigger himself, and he did it to justify violence, to trade on hatred of gays, and to make a clear announcement that on the new Twitter, lies will not just be tolerated. No, on Elon Musk's Twitter, malicious lies are encouraged. That is the new business model. With this message on Twitter, Elon Musk, he firmly aligned himself with the most outrageous form of QAnon Christian nationalism. He's embracing the hateful culture of persecution in the name of Jesus. Lower numbers of active users on Twitter will have a practical consequence. It will mean lowering advertising revenue for Elon Musk. That means less money in the pocket of a Christian nationalist billionaire who's frankly kind of demented. It means a diminished power of Christian nationalists on Twitter to influence the public debate. Don't give Twitter the credibility. You know, there are um, other places that you can share your feelings. There are other social networks. And there's also a little old thing that we used to call the World Wide Web. You don't have to participate in a platform. You can set up your own website. You know, that's what used to happen, is that people would make websites and then they would share links and they would find each other. And it was a beautiful thing. And we didn't have creeps like Elon Musk trying to be the middleman and controlling it and controlling which tweets from which friends you actually end up seeing. Think about that. A return to that kind of internet. We can reclaim that to actually make the internet independent and free again, not dependent on fascists on Twitter. And, you know, we have a lot of work to do. It is important that you 
keep on writing. And I'm going to tell you why. It's This is another piece of information from that Pew Research Center survey, the one that found that uh, 79% of American Christians embrace Christian nationalist ideology, saying that they think the American law should comply with the Christian Bible, uh, not so much with the will of the American people. You know, I started this podcast this summer because it became crystal clear with a series of Christian nationalist Supreme Court rulings that a fascist Christian political movement had gained power enough to make a really serious effort to obtain its eventual goal, which is the replacement of American democracy with a Christian dictatorship. And you know, you're here listening, that Christian nationalism is real and it's totalitarian. We've had a sense that it's working. It's working at the level of local government, state government, national government. Okay? And with Donald Trump shouting all his crazy stuff, with Elon Musk acting like this, we know it's real. And we know that it is very close to controlling the U.S. Congress in the midterm elections. You know this. But you know what? You might assume that most other Americans are aware of this. But the Pew Research Center survey shows that is not the case. 54% of Americans have never heard of Christian nationalism. Never. 54%. It's kind of crazy. Uh, it's a little disheartening. But I want you to take that disheartening feeling and turn it around and say, this is a challenge that we need to meet. You need to write. You need to speak. You need to share what's happening with Christian nationalism because it is a threat to our democracy, an immediate threat. Okay? Sometimes it really feels like we have repeated our warnings about Christian nationalism enough. We've said it. So, hey, what else is there to say? We are paying attention to it so we can assume that other people are too. But that perception on our end does not actually match the broader cultural reality. This Pew Research Center survey result indicates that we are still not doing enough to raise awareness about the dangers of Christian nationalism. And most Americans, they still don't even realize that Christian nationalism exists, much less what it is much less why it is such a danger to American democracy. People are going to look back at this moment and judge what we do in history to make a difference. But the sad fact is that most Americans are paying more attention to football games than they are to politics. Most Americans grasp more about the plot twists of the latest Game of Thrones episode than they do about American history or the Constitution. And that is disappointing to see how much more work we have to do to spread the word about Christian nationalists and the menace of their vision for America. But then, you know something? I think you, if you're listening to this podcast, you know the importance of working with the reality that we are facing instead of what we would want to believe is true. The evidence indicates that we have to reach still 40, uh, 54, excuse me, 54% of the American people just to hear about Christian nationalism. 
we might like to believe that our voices have been heard and that Americans care a lot about the survival of democracy in the United States, but the fact is that we have not done enough to effectively communicate about Christian nationalism, and we can't just assume that most Americans still value democracy. We have to convince them of this. Indifference to constitutional rights and American democracy seems to be growing in the United States right now. And we have to acknowledge that bad news. But along with that acknowledgement, we also have to take the responsibility to stand up and use the power that is in our hands, because we do have the power to impact reality through our human efforts. We're not going to pray this Christian nationalism away. It doesn't work like that. We got to do the work. You got to do the work. And now is the time. Now is the time. You got to vote in this election. But that's not enough. You got to get your neighbor to vote. You make sure that they're going to vote on the right side. And then, you know, yeah, help them to vote. Your friend who's progressive, who's saying, I don't know if my vote really matters. You let them know that it matters. You buy them a beer. You do whatever it takes. You get that person to vote. You drive them to the poll. And you make sure that that vote is cast. You got to understand what's at stake. This is the equivalent of the Nazi party trying to take control of the United States of America. So please, let's knuckle down and get to work. Thank you for listening. I know it's a lot, but hey, it's a lot. Next week is going to be the final pre-election episode of Stop Christian Nationalism. The next episode of Stop Christian Nationalism is coming to you the day before Election Day, the big day when we find out what happens. Do the Christian nationalists take over another branch of the American government or not? We are going to have a heck of a lot to talk about. So uh, I look forward to encountering you here again next week. <laughs>